my preach may help you understand a little bit why we travel, but uh, we were in Perth and Adelaide, and uh, really it was amazing just time with the churches. Uh, a number of new churches looking to partner with us, which is really great, as well as 11 churches in Fiji that are saying they love the message that got, they're hearing coming out of us, and they wanted to partner with us, so that's happening. When flew over, it was a wild time. We flew literally uh, 27 hours, it was a 27-hour trip to land in Indonesia to get to where we were going, and uh, I landed in Indonesia to hear that my dad is dying, um, so the doctor suggested I turn around and come back. I had 11 hours in Indonesia with 27 pastors, and all of them felt the Lord link them to us. And so in that time, well, I actually only had about three hours because we got there at one in the morning and then woke up the next morning to share. Had a few hours with them. We broke bread. The 27 churches all unanimously felt they wanted, they, that the Lord is joining them to us. The, the message coming out of us is something they believe resonates with them in terms of what Jesus is doing with the churches. And so after that trip, I did a 36-hour trip from Indonesia to land yesterday afternoon. And, uh, and, and then MC's not here, sorry, I'm not trying to play like the victim here, but uh, she's a bit sick, she's not well today, so I'm here on my own today. And it is actually a great joy to be with you, and it was actually lovely just singing about it, it's not about us, it's about Him. It's really not about us, it's about Him, it's for His glory. And so it's a real privilege to be with you today, and uh, I hope this message is something I feel the Lord wanted me to do. Uh, I was hoping to take off, to be honest, but... Um, it may be a helpful message for you. I trust that some of you, it's actually a message I have preached here before many years ago, but it's just something that uh, the Lord's resonate, it kind of resonated with me this morning as I was praying. So why do we do this? Why am I climbing on airplanes? Because I hate airplanes. If you've never traveled in an airplane, you probably think it's fun. And maybe if you've gone once or twice, you still think it's fun. But to give you an idea of how much I hate airplanes, a few years ago, my father invited the family to go to Greece. He would pay for everything. Uh, we'd land in Greece, climb on a yacht, and spend about 10 days on a yacht sailing around the Greek islands. And my response to him was, no, I'm not coming. If I've got to climb on an airplane another time, I would rather not actually go. And that was an all-expenses-paid holiday on a yacht around the Greek islands. That gives you an idea of how much I like airplanes. Um, and so I spent the last few years of my life, traveling a lot. And why? Why do we do this? Why am I here this morning? Why? And the title of the preach is Building Bethany's. And this is really the message that uh, the pastors, the churches that we meet with here, it, it comes in many different shapes, sizes, or forms. But at the end of the day, I believe God has given us a message for the church in our generation. And it might be good for you. There's many new folk that are joining, and you're wondering, what is it that you're joining? What is it that we're on about? I trust this message will give you something of the big picture of what we're on about and why we do what we do. And so what I want us to look at, and maybe just start with this, if you, uh, traveling from an African country a few years ago, we were at the airport on our way, wait, you know, the, you wait for a few hours for the plane on an international flight. So we're sitting in the international in the terminal and uh, you're looking for an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. You're going to waste a few hours so you can try and use it. So we, there was a kind of a coffee bar. It looked like a bar. And there were a bunch of people that obviously didn't know Jesus sitting there. And so we figured, let's go and just see if we can connect with some of them and maybe get a chance to share our faith. It's lucky to have you guys here from Sunset West. And uh, nice to visit, eh? They're part of us for many years. And by the way, Catherine Focht, we doesn't know her. She's doing well, sends love. And it was great to see her in, uh, in Adelaide. Sorry for those of you that know her. Where was I? So we're sitting at this airport, and uh, we, we, we sidled up to these heathen guys, and we start talking to them, 
And at one point, the conversation gets to, so what do you do for a living? Now, myself and the guy with me both are full-time in ministry. We're both pastors. And so normally the conversation gets a little bit weird around that time. You know, you say, we're pastors, and suddenly the swearing stops, and it gets all kind of uncomfortable for the guys that don't know Jesus. So I, I, I hate saying that. It's one of those things where you try and get around it. And I was still trying to think, how do I answer this? And my friend popped up. And I, it was something I said, that I'm going to bank that, and I'm going to use it. Because he said, we get paid to look after someone else's wife. And I was like, I was like, actually, that's probably one of the best. That's one of the best things. I, we get paid to look after somebody. And who's that somebody else? Jesus. And who's his wife? You, the church. We get paid to make the church beautiful for Jesus. And I love hearing Cliffy giving a daughter away and saying, actually, I've realized that actually all my life up until this moment with her was to get her beautiful for a young man. And that's actually what we do. Our job is to get you beautiful for Jesus because he's coming back for a pure, spotless bride. That's you. (laughs) And and the thing is, is, have you ever seen how much work it is to train up a young woman for that day? I mean, even just the day itself. What time does it start in the morning with makeup and hair? And and, and it's, it's been so much planning. And that's just for the day. That's not even shaping her before that day comes for the moment. And so our life is that. That's what we do. We travel, we work to get the church beautiful for Jesus. And, and one of the concerns I've got is that I don't know that the church right now in my generation is beautiful for Jesus. I have a deep concern that she's not ready for him. And a lot of the prophecies in the scripture are about that the church would not be ready. You know, he would say a number of things about the church in our generation. And most of them are not that good. You ever looked at the end time scriptures? And a lot of them are, and they kind of like the church isn't actually in such a great space. And so we, more than anything else, I thought, Lord, I'm a house steward, I'm a servant, and my job is to get her beautiful for you. Oh God, give us the wisdom and the grace that we can get you looking beautiful for him on that day. And that means there's lots of work to be done. That means... There's lots of change to be wrought and worked into us so that we can all be beautiful for him on that day. And so one of the areas that I, that, and remember Jesus, the, the relationship that we have with God is a picture of marriage, husband and a wife. And how many of you know when you fell in love, everything changed? This whole gospel message is actually a message of the love of God. God looking for a bride. God looking for someone. And when you find that person, how many of you noticed you would travel whatever, to be with that person. Like that with God too. But now that person, that's you. We've got to get you beautiful for him. And one of the things that I've, uh, even when Jesus came to the earth the first time, everyone in Israel, Israel, remember, was the Old Testament equivalent of the church. They were the people that had been called out of the nations, the children of Abraham, to become the, the, the bride of Christ, the, the bride of God, the, the family of God, sons and daughters of God. That was their calling. But when he came to them, it actually wasn't always, he wasn't always received so well. And so, but there was one place that grabbed his heart, a little town, a place called Bethany. I want us to look at it just now. And I wanted to see what was it about this town that attracted God to it? What was it about this space that uh, grabbed his attention? And I want us to learn from it because at the end of the day, I want you to grab his attention. I was looking at my daughter in worship. She's sitting over there. 
And I was like, I wanted to grab the attention of God, but I also realized one day she's going to grab the attention of a young man. You better be... <laughs> I, can, I, can, I shoot well. At one point, I, was, I actually won. I was number one in South Africa at shooting in, that, in a certain discipline. So I could shoot probably your eyeball out at a kilometer. I definitely hit your head at a kilometer. So watch out, young man. <laughs> watch out, because I'm dangerous and I am armed. Okay, so <laughs> I actually do have guns. I love the things. Sorry to admit that. But I grew up on a farm. I love shooting. So anyway, just a little farther away. So what was it about? You better, MC, you better, you better tell him, eh? My dad. <laughs> so what is it about this, this place that grabbed the attention of Jesus? And I want us to read quickly Luke 10, 38 to 42. And, and this is the first time Jesus comes to this little town called Bethany. It's a little town just a few kilometers outside of Jerusalem, which obviously was the capital um, that Merv was speaking about where everyone is coming for festivals. And actually, you covered the same scriptures that I'm going to cover just now in this. So it was interesting. But as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village that village's name is Bethany, we know that later, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the serving or the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. All right, that's the first time we see this town. And there's a few things I want us to see about it, because there's lessons that we can learn. Now remember, Israel was the church of the day. Okay. And so every town in Israel kind of represented a church. In many ways, it would be like God coming, and he would look at what are supposed to be his people today. Well, this morning, there's churches meeting all over this area. And all over the country and all over the world with different time, but bottom line. And, and all of them say, we're Israel, we're the, modern, we're the church of the day, we're your people, God. Okay, you get what? So why is it that when Jesus came, a number of the areas that he went to didn't actually receive him like Bethany did? Because the first thing we read about this place is that Martha, it's her home, received him or welcomed him into her home. Now we would say, surely churches welcome Jesus into a home. And that's exactly what Israel thought in the day. Surely every village in Israel will welcome the Messiah when he comes. But Jesus would say things like this in John 1.11. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. So he came to his own people, but his own people didn't recognize him. And I was marveling, you know, we were in Israel a while ago. And I remember coming to uh, Nazareth where he grew up. And it's fascinating, Nazareth, you can see where, he, literally, you can see the remains of the home where they say he grew up in. And then on the way out of Nazareth, you come down and there's one little cliff in, um, on the edge of Nazareth. There's only one cliff. And as we were driving out, we got a Jewish tour guide and they know Israel very well. And I'm like, hey, as I saw the cliff, I was like, hang on, I remember a Bible story that Jesus was teaching in the temple, in their synagogue. And he did some stuff, and they were amazed. He healed some people. And then very quickly, the conversation turned, and they became offended at him. And so they dragged him to the edge of a cliff 
to throw him off the cliff. Do you remember the story? And, and, and then the Bible says, but something happened supernaturally. And he turned and he walked away from among them and they, and they didn't get to throw him off the cliff. And I realized, I asked, are there any other cliffs? No, that's the only cliff in Nazareth. And I was like, just hit me. And I started crying, actually. On that cliff, God's people, his bride, dragged him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off. They wanted to kill the God of the universe, the one who made it all, on that hill. And I just was overwhelmed. It was just like, how can we be so blind that Jesus can be among us and we might even want to kill him? It's profound and it's scary for me. Because they honestly believed they were doing God a favor when they took him to the cliff. And he'd say in Luke 9, 58, foxes of holes, birds of heaven have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he comes, and it's a picture of a lover coming to his bride. He comes to find her, but when he gets there, none of them want to receive him. None of these towns are receiving him well. They all, some initially, but later, they, and even when he is received well, because remember he had 5,000 men that he fed when he did the fishes and the loaves. But even in that, Jesus said, you're, doing, you're coming to me, but you're coming for the wrong reasons. You're coming for the loaves and the fishes. You're not coming because you love me. You're not coming because you recognize me properly for who I am. You're coming for what I can give you. And I sometimes wonder in the church how many of our churches are built upon coming to Jesus for what he can give us. Instead of coming to Jesus because he's worthy of more than we could ever bring with our lives. And so these things are real for me as I look at the church. And I think, Lord, what do do you think about us today? In 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, talking about the church now, because that was Israel. Jesus looked forward to the church and he said, well, Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, that in the end times, people would gather a great number of teachers around themselves to tell them what their itchy ears want to hear. And now it's talking about the church. So we would have a great number of churches that will tell people and be built upon what people want to hear. Often one of the things I do is I train church planters. We just actually planted a church in Europe this week, in England, in London. Another church was planted through our 412 partnership. And when I train pastors, I often say, if you want to grow your church really quickly, just give people what they like to hear. What do people like to hear? You can do whatever you want. He loves me no matter what I do. Uh, you know, I often say to guys, we've made the greatest commandment, not that I will love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but that he will love me with all his heart, with all his mind. We, we, we suddenly, we, we, we twist this whole thing around. And so we give people, you know, the, the, the self-help, the little, basically it looks like this, a program meeting with a TED talk for 15 minutes. And you're in and out in an hour because I'm a busy person and I'll give God that hour, but then I want to get out and do my own thing. So we've learned, and pastors have learned to give people what they want to hear. And people gather and gather around teachers that tell them what they like. But the problem is what we like and what Jesus like often don't fit. It's a bit like when you get married. I just thought my wife would like what I liked. I really did. I mean, I was so blind. They say love is blind, marriage is the eye opener. You know, you just think... You know, we just fit perfectly, and you don't. If you fit perfectly, then you just were perfect before you got married. But, but in reality, most of us realize when we got married, oh my goodness, this is, a, this is a strange fit. Like, I love her, but oh my goodness, we're different. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'll give you an example. If we, at the end of the month, find out that we have 2,000 rand surplus somehow, I can tell you, and we think, okay, and, and it's, we, we decide we're going to do it, we're going to spend it on ourselves. This is what I'd like. 
I'm going to buy myself a new surfboard. Or a wetsuit. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's practical, it's useful, it's great. MC, on the other hand, she wants to buy flowers or pillows. I don't know how many pillows a person can buy and why she has to keep changing them. But that's, you know, it's just, I don't get that. I don't get, why do you want pillows, for goodness sake? I mean, you know, we've got them already. I mean, we've got brown pillows now, you want blue pillows now, so you can paint the wall after you. I don't get that. But the thing is, this I've learned in a happy marriage, I've got to learn to give my wife what she likes, and she's got to learn to give me what I like. And the thing with Jesus, it's the same. I've got to learn to give him what he likes. <laughs> and often what I like and what he likes, they're not the same. They're just not the same. So we, as leaders, we've got this challenge because we have learned, we have a consumer culture. That teaches us we can find what we want. And people shop for church, don't they? They come to the church and they go, well, I think I'm going to stay in this church because I like the worship or I like the preacher's very cool or hip or the message is uplifting or whatever it is. But that's consumerism. That's not Jesus, I'm your servant. Where do you want me to give my life to? Where can my life count the most for your kingdom and your glory? We instead say, where will I be the most comfortable? And we actually make it all about us and not about him. And so when the real Jesus comes, he's offensive to us because he shakes our little comfortable world and he shakes the things we like because actually he is God. <laughs> and this is scary. You know, every church says, Jesus, we're just so grateful for your presence here among us. Thank you that you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. And then in Revelation 3 verse 20, Jesus writes to a church and he says this, church in Laodicea, the church is meeting they're having an amazing meeting, I'm sure. You know, thank you, Lord. And he does this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Now, if he's at the door knocking, where is he? In the building or outside the building? He's outside. So we, where are we? We are inside. We're doing church. We're the Laodicean church. He's outside knocking, saying, I want to come in. I will. And, and if, you, if you hear my voice, and open the door, then I will come in and eat with you and you with me. So the reality is we can do church, and actually Jesus isn't a part of it. But then how does it work? How do we feel something? How do we get the goosebump? How do we see power flowing? Because sometimes we can even have power moments in meetings. And Jesus said, many will say on that last day, Lord, Lord, we drove out demons in your name and healed the sick in your name. And I said, I never knew you. So we can even have power in our meetings. And Jesus is like, I don't know you guys. I wasn't in there eating with you. It wasn't me. It was someone else. And you think, well, what Jesus is this? What, what spirit are you talking about? How can that be? Because surely, and then, and then Paul writes to the Corinthians, and this is one of my most freaky, scary, like I, I lose sleep over this one sometimes. In 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4, if you know what I'm, it's a figure of speech. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4, no, actually, I do lose sleep over this. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4. He pulls right into a church that he's planted. It's a Corinthian church, and he, and he loves this, these guys. And, and so he says to them, for if someone comes to you, this is the Corinthian church, and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Now, I have to just pause and think, what have I just read? So somebody comes and they bring a Jesus. But not the Jesus that Paul knows, who's the real Jesus. 
It's some other Jesus. Or different spirit. Now, if it's a different spirit, what spirit is it? Because it's either God's spirit or it's some other spirit. So now this church has got the wrong Jesus, the wrong spirit, which means there's some kind of demonic or something flowing. It looks, remember the Bible says the angel of darkness manifests himself as an angel of light. He's a deceiver. So in other words, the Corinthians, you don't even, you're not even worshiping the right Jesus. The spirit moving among you isn't the Holy Spirit. And the gospel that you believe isn't the one that Paul taught. Help us, Jesus. Does that not put a little bit of like... In other words, right now, every church is going, Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord, we worship you, Jesus. And some of those churches, in reality, and it could even be us, it's the wrong Jesus, it's the wrong spirit, and it's the wrong gospel. Isn't that scary for you? It is. It's scary for me. I'm like, oh my goodness, because deception is by nature deceptive. You know what I'm saying? It's like you don't know what you don't know. Until Paul says this, they were like, man, we just love your presence, Jesus. And then he's like, no, it's not the right Jesus. Lord, thank you for your spirit that moved here now. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Lord. I mean, this is something that as a leader, you've got to question. Because every Christian, I mean, and that's the thing. Every Christian you meet says that they're in a great space with Jesus. I mean, even guys that leave the church, they're like, hey, this is the best place I've ever been. I feel closer to Jesus than I've ever been my whole life. And I'm like, what Jesus are you talking about? Because the Jesus I read about in my Bible doesn't hang out. That's not what he likes. We read earlier, I think Cliffy read it, my servant must be where? I am, Jesus said. <laughs> so, How do we make sure? Remember this. Every single town in Israel believed they were doing the right thing when they rejected him. These were the Jews. They were the people. They were like, you know, they were shocked. We're the sons of Abraham. How can you say these things about us? And he would say, oh, even from the rocks, God can raise up sons of Abraham. And then he would say to them, and again, this is him talking to his church of the day. You're not the sons of Abraham. If you were, you would receive me properly. So this is, that's why you, you need to be careful. It's because it says church over the door means diddly squat. We've got to test. We've got to make sure this is the real Jesus. This is the real gospel being preached. This is the real Holy Spirit that's moving among us. Otherwise, we can have meetings and Jesus is outside. And here's the thing I love about Jesus. Where is he even when we're not where he should be? So we've got the wrong Jesus in the meeting, the wrong spirit flowing, and the wrong gospel. Where's Jesus? Banging on the door. Why? Because he loves us. Because he says, let me in. Let, open, listen to my voice. Hear me. Open. Jesus is so faithful, even when we aren't faithful. And that's what he yeah. So, So these are things. Why do I travel the nations? Because I see a different Jesus in the churches. I see a different gospel, and I see a different spirit. And the things I'm saying about consumer Jesus or prosperity Jesus or But when it comes to Bethany, I think I love about this. He's received. He's received properly. The real Jesus. When he knocks on the door, Martha knows who the real Jesus is. And she opens the door 
and she welcomes him into her home. Jesus is looking for a place where he will be received, where he'll be welcomed. And I have to say this. I've walked with Jesus now for about 30 years. The real Jesus is quite uncomfortable to walk with. It's not easy, you know. It's like, he's offensive sometimes. I was actually worshiping in the worship, and, it, and you know, sometimes you sing something, sometimes, and you sing it because it's, you know, you just sing it, and, you know, but sometimes as you sing the words, the truth of the words just kind of, duck, duck, just ratchets its way through your brain, and I was, you know, you are good, and it dawned on me, and I, I mean, I know this, theologically, I know this, I've, I know my way, but, but just that reality of, Lord, you said there's no one good but God, that means I'm not good. That means right now, as hard as I'm trying to serve you, I'm still falling short of your glory. That means outside of your kindness and your goodness, I have no hope. Because I can stand here because you are good, not because I'm good. Oh, Jesus, help me to get that and to remember that, to remember who I am. I'm dust. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. My opinions are so mixed up and confused, and I'm your leader. I get that. I, you know, what I think is right, they all thought they were right. Jesus, have mercy on me. And then we start singing that song. What was that last song? Uh, um, Lord, I look to you. You wear my help comes from. Give me vision to see things as you do. To, what's the next line? I've forgotten it. To, to, to give me vision to see things as you do and to give me wisdom to, to know what you know. And there is that sense of like, I'm singing that song, and I'm seriously, I'm praying it as a prayer. I'm singing that song. I'm not just like, oh, give me vision. I'm like, Jesus, give me vision so that I can see the real Jesus. Give me, give me ears to hear that I can hear the real Jesus because I sometimes my opinions are so strong and my mindsets are so, that, Lord, I'm so scared that I don't get you. I'm so scared that I might fight you, and I'm scared of that. And I want to humble myself before you and say, God, you are where my help comes from. I don't know how to get out of this place. I don't know what I don't know. But you know all things, God. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Let your goodness be my shield and my rampart, God. Thank you for being so kind to me when I've been arrogant and, and thought I knew something when I know nothing. Because the Bible says if you think you know something, you know nothing. So, Lord, I can't get it. I know nothing. All I know is you, and I, I think I know the real you, but please help me to hear your voice and to see you as you really are, not, not through the lens of my culture or the lens of my brokenness or the lens of something else. I want to know the real Jesus. I want to be like you. I want to, I want to, I want to reflect you. I don't this is, my, this is my prayer. This is my heart. This is like, God, why do I travel to the churches? Because I want to, there's a sense of somehow we've, we've got confused as a church. And we need to come back to this real Jesus. He's, he's received. The second thing is, he's listened to. Mary sits at his feet and listens to him. And actually, the Greek, Greek is a wonderful descriptive language. It's in the continuing present sense. In other words, she went on listening. Because, and, and the picture you've got is Mary and Martha have both sat at his feet listening to him for a while. And then Martha gets up, she gets distracted, and I'll go to her just now. And Mary just carries on, just sitting at his feet and listening. And the thing with listening in the Bible is, again, because of our culture, we, we confuse things because we read the word listening through the lens of a Greek Western mindset. And to listen means, hey, you know, I was listening to an e-book. Or I was listening to, 
I was listening to some Bethel music on the way or whatever it is. But that's not actually what the Bible means when it says listen. To listen in the Bible means that you hear it in such a way that you actually change and do something about it. It means it changes the way you think. It changes who you are inside. It's a bit like a wife. She gets that. You must have had a conversation with your wife. MC will say to me, honey, we're getting some people around for dinner tonight. And the light bulb in the lounge has blown one of the light bulbs. Could you fix it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get them. She's like, no, 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 no. You're not listening to me. No, honey, I'll get it. No. She knows me. She knows. I'm going to get busy with something else. I'm going to... Every wife knows this. So she's nodding because she's like, that's exactly like my husband. He didn't listen. You know, he, he listened, but he didn't listen. Because if he listened, he'd get off his butt, go to the lounge, and change the light bulb. But he says he's heard me, but he hasn't. Because I know I'm going to be the one sitting up there changing the light bulb before because he didn't listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> Is it true? So, so the, I think the ladies get listen better than guys do. Guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Listen means you do something about it. And so when Mary's listening, it's not just going, wow, that was so profound. I didn't understand that about. It's not, pastor, that was a great preach. Thank you so much. It is hearing the word of God and letting it do something in you that will change everything about you. In other words, whenever the word of God confronts something in your life that's not what it should be, you are different after that. Then you listen. The Bible speaks about never hearing, but even that, he says, but your hearts can be careless so you don't hear. Mary listened, received a whole lot. And you know, I know when people are listening because they're changing. Man, if you're in a church that never demands change of you but in terms of its message, that not that they say you must change for us because that's just... But the, the, the Jesus they're teaching is not challenging you to your core. I don't think they're teaching the real Jesus. Because honestly, when I spend five minutes in my Bible and the Holy Spirit is there, I'm challenged. It's like whenever I see him, when I read, sometimes I read my Bible. I actually, funny enough, this morning I read through a portion of Scripture and I got nothing out of it. I just, wow, that's a nice little piece of Scripture. And then I felt like I go over it again. And I went over it again. It popped for me. You ever had the Bible pop for you? And as I, read, I was like, how did I miss that? How did I not hear that? I just read this a few moments ago, and I didn't even, it was like it just went boing off my forehead. But now I'm reading it again. And, I, and if you're in a church that's preaching the real Jesus, you're going to be challenged to your core to be different. You're going to be stirred to give more, to, to love more, to... To get uncomfortable. In other words, if in a year's time you're the same as you are now, we failed. Or you failed. Because we move from one degree of glory to another. If you're not growing with him, you're dying. So how have you changed? What, what in you has adjusted? Or are you at that place where you're so hard-hearted and stubborn that you're just ever hearing but not perceiving? That you're not listening any longer? And these are challenges for us. When last were you convicted by the Lord of something in your life? Maybe husbandry or wifey or wifery or, 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 parent, or, or love for one another or forgiveness or generosity or... You know where Jesus, you know why he keeps coming back to this town? Because in this town, he's listened to. 
Everywhere else he talks and everyone argues and has their own opinion. But in this town, he's listened to. And I believe Jesus is looking for churches that he'll be welcomed in and listened to. And that means whatever he says to us. You know, Lon got up and he said, guys, we feel the Lord's leading us to fast for three days. Did you listen to that? Did you hear that? Because the proof will be in the pudding. Literally. <laughs> or the lack of pudding. Or whatever it is that you're going to fast. But there was a sense that we were one people and one heart. Then there's a sense of, geez, our leaders are doing this with us. They're not saying you guys fast. They're saying we're fasting with you. And it sounds like the leaders are going to be doing this, the, the, the hardcore fast. Because they've got to be an example. So they're not, they didn't say, well, let's make the people suffer for three days. And, you know, we can just. They are laying their lives down because they feel the Lord has led them to lead you this way. Now, let me say, if Jesus is saying, I'm knocking. He's actually saying, Marlon was actually technically saying, we feel like actually we need to break through into the more of Jesus. In other words, we hear that Jesus is knocking and we've got to soften our hearts to actually go to the door and open the knob and say, well, come in, Jesus. And how do we do that? We're going to fast and we're going to seek and we're going to stop you know, Facebook and Instagram. And all. We're going to spend this time sensitizing our hearts to Jesus by time in his presence. And, and if, this is, if you don't do that, and then you're not one heart, one mind, one purpose. You're not obeying and submitting to your leaders. You're not being like Jesus. And I guarantee you, he's not going to hang out with us. He'll just go to the church somewhere else. He'll go, man, I'm looking for Anthony's. I'm looking for people who listen. And they're not asking you to do something that the Bible doesn't. Lon showed you the scripture. When you fast. It's not a... Hear this. Because this determines the difference between the churches that Jesus will hang out in and the churches that Jesus will not hang out in. <laughs> I might. I'm not part of your congregation anymore. <laughs> I didn't lift my hand. I was like, Ecorpio, are you going to do this? And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm going to do this. If I was in this congregation, 100%. And I might. I remember once being on a church planners course. You were with us. And we, we arrived at this one church. And how long was that first fast? We get to a church. Now we church planners. We come in 10 days. We get to church. We're doing a 10 day and it was a liquid fast. Soup and fruit juice. Okay, we're doing this. So we did 10 days. Then we left there and we went to another church. And we got there and they were doing a five-day fast, I think it was. And then so, and that was, I think it was just a, I think it was just, if I, let's say water fast. I was like, oh my, I am dying. But we did it. And then we arrived at the next church and I think they're doing a three-day fast. And I sinned. I snuck in at McDonald's. <laughs> It's just like, I can't do this anymore. You know, you guys are doing a five-day, three-day. We've, we've been going at this now. I just don't know if I can do this any longer. It's like. <laughs> I'll do it with you, Lon. I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The third thing is, he's served. Every time I've heard this preached, I've been told, don't be like Martha, be like Mary. And Martha said, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and Martha was getting rebuked by Jesus. But it's a bit more complicated than that, and I think we miss what the Bible is actually saying, because we don't look at the detail. So I want us to just see the detail of, when I say he's served, and Bethany, Bethany is a kind of church where people actually serve him. And the thing we've got to see is if you could put up, oh, where is it? I think it's around verse 41 of, uh, where is it now? In, 
When do we start? Luke 10, 41, I think it is. Actually, I could find it over here. No, let's go, sorry. Verse 40. Luke 10, verse 40. Listen to this. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. In other words, my servant must be where I am, Jesus said. Which means, whatever Jesus does, his servant is doing. So what is Jesus doing when this conversation goes down? He's preaching. So what should Martha be doing? Listening. Jesus hasn't said, hey, let's go to the kitchen. Jesus hasn't said, I'm hungry. But she's thinking preparation. And why to her house? And any lady knows that. You've got some guests over and Jesus has come for supper. It's kind of a big deal. And so you've been listening with Mary for a while. And then Jesus preaches longer than Andrew. So it's been going on a bit long. And then at one point, at one point, Martha's like, it's getting late. Somebody's going to have to, you know, I'm the host. So she whips over to the kitchen, hoping that Jesus is going to follow her. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't follow us. We're supposed to follow him. So she's in the kitchen cooking, and Mary's just sitting, and she hears gasps from the living room as some new revelation pops out of Jesus. And Mary's like, oh, my goodness, Jesus, I never, never knew that before. And Martha's like stewing in the kitchen like, ah. So she gets angry, and if you go look at the text, she is very angry. She rebukes Jesus. She literally goes back to Jesus and says, Jesus, aren't you concerned that my sister's left me cooking in the kitchen? Tell her. In other words, she's telling Jesus what to do. You must tell my sister that she must come and help me in the kitchen. Now, when you're telling Jesus what to do, you know there's a problem. When you start thinking, you know, I, you know this is, and maybe this, when you start saying there's something wrong with what my sister's doing, you know there's a problem. Because you don't know what Jesus is doing. With your sister. You just know what he's doing with you. <laughs> We're to follow the Holy Spirit. And so Martha's trap is that, uh, and, and I need to say this, you know, our opinions, man, hold them lightly. Hold them lightly. Because it's, yours, it's just an opinion. And, and even if you think you're indignant, about, Jesus said you are, what is the word you used there? Anxious and troubled, I think he said. Uh... But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things. When you are anxious and troubled about many things, can I suggest, suggest to you that you've taken your eyes off Jesus? When you are anxious and troubled about many things, and there's many things that can trouble us, aren't there, in life? There's a lot that can come our way and can rock us from our joy. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll stand on the rock. He's higher than you are, and you'll stand in the storm. But when you lose sight of Jesus, you get anxious and troubled. And in this case, she's anxious and troubled because of what her sister's enjoying, and she isn't. Which is kind of a mind-blowing way, because... Ah, and he starts telling Jesus what to do. You know, one of the things we've got to do is do what Jesus asked me to do. And not worry about what Jesus has asked my brother to do. Because sometimes he asks my brother to do something that's different from me. In fact, often he asks my brother to do something that's different from me. So you're going through a fast, and Lon said this. Don't ask 
Oh, you're fasting. Don't ask what she did to me. So he broke his own. <laughs> Don't ask. Don't ask what kind of fast you're going to do. Why? Because Jesus might ask you to do something different from your brother. I'll never forget that story of, um, in the Old Testament of Hosea. Hosea is a godly guy, man. And, he, and God tells him you must marry this woman, and she's a prostitute. So it's kind of a difficult thing for a holy guy to marry a prostitute. But he loves God, so he obeys him. And he marries a prostitute, and he takes her from sleeping with all these men, which must have been very difficult for a guy. I think, I think for a guy's egos, this is like, oh my goodness. And he takes her, and he loves her in his home. He's really trying to do this right. And the problem is she, like a dog, goes back to her own vomit because broken people break people. So she goes back. At some point, she goes back, and she starts sleeping with men again for money. Now he's sitting there going, God, why did you tell me to marry her? God, why did you put me in this predicament? Why? Why is my heart broken now? Because I've loved her, but now she's giving herself to other men. I'm going to divorce her. In the law, it says I can divorce her for this. And God says, other people can, but you can't. Go back and love her. And he's like, so he goes back and he finds her and he buys her back with money because now she's lost into slavery again. Buys her back and he takes her and he, and he loves her again and she doesn't go back. And you just think, Lord, this is not fair. And he's crying out to God, oh, why? Why is my life like this? And God says to him, because I'm letting you feel my pain. Because my people are just like your wife. I keep coming back and finding them and loving them. And they keep opening their legs to other gods. They keep giving themselves to other men. Now you know, now you can represent me because you feel my pain. Now go and tell my people the message that I've asked you to give. You cannot divorce her because I will not divorce my people. I will love them in spite of them. You see, you look at him and you think, well, that's not fair. It's not, but God is God. And you know... Hosea gets a whole book. I mean, you look at the sacrifices. A woman gives, this is a sacrifice for him. That's what God asked him to do. Don't look at your brother and think, why do they, who do they think that? Just do what it is that he tells you to do. Just keep yourself in him. Does this make sense? Like, help us, Jesus. We're so quick to have an opinion, you know. It's just like, we don't know. I need to land this. I'm on serving. You see, serving is not something that Martha's always rebuked for. And I, I need to land this. Let me skip a few things here. My father, Jesus said, is always working. He's always serving. And Jesus told us that we should serve. He said, as I, he said, he washes the disciples' feet. He talks about how I've been an example. So you must serve, must, you must love one another. You must, you must. So serving is a big part of our Christian walk. It's not a sin to serve. I remember when I first heard that message, be like Martha, not like Mary. I was like, yes, because I actually just want to sit at Jesus' feet. I just love Jesus so much. I just want to sit there and go, oh, you're amazing. And I actually had to realize that's just, I'm just a lazy person, actually. I just grabbed the part I like. Actually, a large part of this thing is serving. What am I doing this morning? Serving. I'm a servant of the Lord. That's what I'm called. A servant does what? He serves. What are you? You're also a servant of the Lord. So where are you serving? Are you serving, Lord? There's a lot of churches you'll never have to serve. Maybe there's a, we're looking for some volunteers. You know, we're going to need some door duty. And, and it's great that people do that. But actually, we're called to be a kingdom of priests. We're all supposed to be serving. 
In John 12, we'll read it just now. I won't go there yet. Martha, we again see that home. Jesus come back to it. And Martha is serving, and she's not rebuked this time. She was only rebuked because she was distracted, not because she was serving. In other words, if Jesus had said, hey, guys, it's getting late. Let's go to the kitchen and make supper. And then Martha goes to the kitchen. You see, she's not going to be frustrated because she's doing it with Jesus. But at some point, someone's going to make supper. Otherwise, and so how do you serve Jesus? You see, if you're in this church, my job to get you beautiful, the Bible says, White robes were given you to wear on that last day. And white robes represents the righteous acts of the saints. That means you're going to look beautiful, Jesus, because of how much you serve. And how do you serve Jesus? Let me ask you a question. Imagine if I said, Gee, guys, I've got some really good news. Um, next week, Sunday, Jesus, you know, he appeared to the 500. He's going to appear to us. He appeared to 500 people after he was crucified. Remember the story? Imagine, just imagine with me. Jesus is coming, and you're kind of like, eh. And then on Sunday, as we're standing and waiting outside the door, greeters, heaven opens. You see angels coming down from heaven. So you know this is not some fake Jesus. This is Jesus. And then Jesus comes down on a cloud and enters at the front door and walks through our little coffee shop to meet with us. What are you going to do that Sunday? I mean, I want you to imagine it. We're sitting here. The guys are praying up front. Some people believe me, so they're waiting in anticipation. The rest were just like, yeah, 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 whatever. And the next thing, Jesus with a couple of angels walks through those doors, and we're like, everyone knows it's him. What are you going to do? Well, I mean, just think about it. What are you going to do? <laughs> Is it going to change your Sunday? Are you going to stay in your chair and just kind of, you know, read the notices or... You're going to get out of your chair and you're going to run to him. Jesus! You're going to be pushing through the crowd trying to get to him. You're going to be trying to love him. Can I make you coffee, Jesus? Can I? Hey, man, do you want we make great cappuccino? I'm going to go buy you some. I want, to, I want to buy it for you. I don't, you know, I know the elders, but I want to buy it because I want to be like, we're going to be looking for ways to, to serve him, to love him. When he comes to front, we're going to be pouring. And then Jesus said this. What you do for the least of these little ones of mine, you did it for me. Every single Sunday, Jesus is here. He's in the people around you. And he said, if you really want to bless me, if you really want to serve me, serve the people around you. I know Bethany's are places where every single person comes to serve, not to sit. You come to sit, you haven't got this. You come to serve. Can I make coffee? Because every single person I make coffee for, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, every single person that you, and you see visitors sitting down and every single person that I sidle up to and I say, hey, I haven't seen you before. It's your first time here. Who am I welcoming? Jesus. You see, when everyone thinks that way, Jesus looks at us and he goes, Bethany, I found a place of people that actually serve me. They don't come to get from me. They come to give to me. And I've used this story before, but is that cheesy old Ray Bolt song when I first got saved. And some of you will remember it. It went like this. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. And the song is actually written about a, a man who goes to heaven. And as much as the song is made up, the theology behind this is good. It's in the Bible. 
And he's standing up before the throne of God, wondering what Jesus will say for, on, about his life. He's lived his life now. What's Jesus going to say? And he's nervous, and he sees the throne, he sees a sea of people, and, he, he, and this is his moment. He's about to get judged for everything that he's done. And as he's standing there nervously, a person gets up in the crowd and walks out, and he sees the person coming, and he's like, and the guy comes up and says, sings, thank you for the, giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. When I was in Sunday school, what we call, what do we call it now? Kids' church. Youth, whatever it is. When I was in Sunday school, I was five years old or six years old, and you came and told us about Jesus, and I heard the gospel for the first time. I'm here today because of you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. You see, I'm a life that was changed. I'm here because of you. Then another person, and another person. You made us soup when we were sick. You were there. And every single person, thank you for giving to the Lord. And finally the Lord gets up, and the Lord sings over him. Thank you for giving to the Lord. What you do for the least of these, you did for me. I'm telling you now, if you want Jesus to be here, come to serve. Come look for places, ways to serve and to bless his people. Buy somebody coffee. Remember, you're doing it for Jesus. No one else might know, but you know, and he knows. Because he keeps a record of everything. Two cents, two pe- what, a penny. Two coins, a penny's worth. He keeps a record. I want to get you guys serving. Man, I want to arrive in here, and I want to see nobody sitting in there. If you're in the church because you're brand new. The rest of us are just kind of love people because that's how we build a Bethany family. And then we land this with this. I'm going to go down. I've got about seven minutes. So Bethany in, in every name in, in the Hebrew has an equivalent. In other words, Andrew means, funny enough, brave and courageous leader. Did you know that? It's not Hebrew. That's just what Andrew means, brave and courageous leader. Somehow I probably fell into something of that. So names are quite big. And Bethany, the name Bethany translated to English means the house of figs. Bait, which is house, ani, which is figs. So house of figs. Okay. So I want you to remember this as we look at these last few moments. And we're going to go back to where Merv was actually in the, when he was sharing about the, the last few days of Jesus' life. Because we keep, keep seeing Jesus coming back to this little place called Bethany. And it's in Matthew 21 from verse 12. And I'm not going to turn in our Bibles. We just, I'm just going to tell you the story. You can read this at home. So Jesus comes, it's a time of the year that Merva said, all Israel's coming to celebrate the Feast of Passover. So there's thousands, tens of thousands coming. It's not hundreds, it's tens of thousands coming from all over the known world to worship Jesus, okay? And Jesus comes in and the first thing he does is he goes into the temple. And what does he do? He flips over tables because, and I don't have time now to explain why, but he's not happy with what he sees. And this is really offensive to people. Who do you think you are? Who gives you authority to come and do the things that you're doing? These things were done to the glory of God, but now you, who, who, you know, who do you think you are? And then the children are praising him. And it's like, man, I, God has ordained. Uh, they, they're rebuking, why are you letting the children worship you? And he's like, God has ordained praise from children. And if I silence them, the rocks are cried. But everything that, that's happening, the church of the day is criticizing. And I have to tell you, being criticized sucks. Who likes being criticized? Who likes being told that what you're doing is wrong and, and, and argued with, with everything that you do? Everything that he does on that day is criticized and antagonized. People are angry with him, frustrated with him. And so what he does is he, is he leaves at the end of the day. And guess where he goes? Bethany. 
We don't know what happened that night, but we know he spent the night at Bethany. Next morning, guess where he goes? Back to Israel. Back to Jerusalem, sorry. And on the way, he sees a fig tree. And you know the story. Matthew 21. He sees a fig tree. And the fig tree has got leaves on it. And so he goes to the fig tree to try and find fruit, but there's none. And so he rebukes the tree and it dies. And the disciples are blown away. What kind of authority does he have? But they miss the point. The point is this. Jerusalem, or Israel, sorry, is often called a fig tree. Joel 2, 21, Hosea 9, verse 10. In Luke 13, 6 to 9, Jesus himself would give a parable about a fig tree that was in his orchard. And the fig tree didn't produce fruit like it was supposed to. And so the servant said, come, I'll cut it down. And he said, give it one more year. And then he watered it and he would he'd put food in it to try. And, and if it doesn't produce fruit at the end of the year, he would cut the fig tree down. And he's literally talking to Israel and he's saying, I have come to you to find the fruit of a bride, the fruit of one who will give herself to a lover. But actually, I'm not finding fruit. And the fig tree, when a fig tree has leaves, at the same time, it also produces fruit. So normally when you see leaves, you know there's fruit. And so Jesus sees leaves. But when he looks through the leaves, he doesn't find fruit that he's looking for. And so he curses the tree. Now, this is what the picture is. Israel is called the fig tree. And God has come to his own, but his own didn't receive him. He's looked for fruit because he's got all the leaves of religion. It's got the priests, it's got the temple, it's got the meetings, it's got the, the Levites, it's got the worship, it's got the sacrifices, it's got everything. It's got the offerings that Merv spoke about. Everything's happening. But when he looks at her, he doesn't see the fruit he's looking for. He sees leaves. There's the odd fruit, that little lady. It's like stand out. Oh my goodness, there's one lady that's got fruit. But all the others, there's just no fruit. And so he curses it. And in AD 70, Israel would be destroyed by the Romans and Jerusalem itself would be sacked. Literally, it would wither and die. And for nearly 2,000 years, Israel did not exist as a people. It was cursed and it died because it had the fruits of religion, but it didn't have the, the, the leaves of religion, but it didn't have the fruit. Israel is called the fig tree. She should have produced fruit. Bethany is called the house of figs. He goes to the temple, and I'm going to be landing this in the next three, four minutes, after cursing the fig tree. And this is a very sad day for me. As I just, you know, go, you go from verse 23, from 21, 23 to 22, 35. Jesus goes to the temple again. Now, the temple would be the church of the day. And every single Jewish group represented in Israel has a moment of him. You've got the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the experts in the law. It's its equivalent in our day of the Methodists having their moment with him. The Catholics, the Anglicans, the, the, uh, the Assemblies of God, the 412 churches. Every single church has its moment with Jesus. And every single church argues with Jesus. Every single group argues with Jesus. Doesn't like what he says, they leave offended. The Bible says eventually, at the end of that day, that no one dared to ask him any more questions in Matthew 22, 46. So you go, oh my goodness, imagine that. Imagine coming to every, Jesus comes to every single group and no one wants, no one's listening. And then he says in Matthew 23, 39, your house has left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then guess where he goes at the end of that day? 
And this must have been a bruising day, huh? This, this must have broken his heart. He goes to Bethany, Matthew 26, verse 6. He goes back to the house of figs. He goes back to the place where there's a fruit that he's looking for. And I love John 12, 2-4, because John tells us what happens in that night, that last night. Literally, he's going to go from here back to Israel. They're going to crucify him. But here at Bethany, he's just been rebuked the whole day, argued the whole day with the church of the day. But at Bethany, a dinner is given in Jesus' honor. And, I, and just the, the opposite, you know, the house of fruit, a dinner in your honor. The fig tree, no honor, just fighting and arguing. Martha is doing what? She's serving again. And she's not rebuked this time. While Lazarus is among those reclining at the table with him. What's Lazarus doing? He's listening. He's hanging out where Jesus is, just listening. Then Mary takes a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. And the house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What's Mary doing? She's worshiping him. She's actually serving him. She's serving him. And one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. Okay, so the disciples object. But Bethany was the place. That he's listened to, he's received, he's listened to, and he's served. And I would ask us, are we, as, as the eyes of the Lord roam across the earth, what kind of church will we be? Will we be a Bethany? What Jesus will we worship? What Jesus will we know? I want to ask you with me, please. You know, around the world we travel now, and people literally are saying, we want to be Bethany's. And they look to you, actually. This is where it all started. They look to you to be an example of what a Bethany looks like. They come from the nations. I'm literally having guys from Fiji, from is all over the world coming, saying, we're going to come because we've heard there's a place that Jesus hangs out in. We've heard there's a place. We've heard about what God's doing among you. We, we've heard about people that receive him, welcome him, serve him, and listen to him. And if you can do it, maybe we can do it too. My dream, my passion in life is to get a bride beautiful for her groom. And actually, this should be your passion too, to serve with us in the nations for the glory of our God. But to do that, it's got to start here. It means we listen. We listen. It means we receive Him, even the uncomfortable sides of Him. And it means... What's the third one? I've gone blank. We serve him. How do you serve him? Come early to love somebody. I believe if we keep doing this, we'll become a Bethany that God will come and live in. Because he says, here I am. I'm knocking. If you're here, and open the door. I will come in and eat with you. And you with me. So can I pray with you? Why don't you stand with me? close eyes. You guys, some of you look more jet lagged than I, I was in the end of that. <laughs> oh Lord. You know, one of the things Paul the Apostle would say as he built with the churches is he said, we take every thought captive to make it subject to 
to Christ. And one of the things that I know happens so often in a community of faith is we have thoughts. We have thoughts about stuff, about what others are doing, what they should or shouldn't do. We have opinions. We are often very strong in our beliefs, our convictions, just like Mary was, just like Martha was, sorry. She rebuked Mary and wanted Jesus to sort himself, sort his sister out. But very often, as we trying to point out the fault in our sister or our brother, actually the Lord is speaking to us. We're the ones who've grown anxious. We're the ones who've grown troubled. We're the ones who've lost the peace, the love of God that should have brought in our hearts. We're the ones who are separating and isolating ourselves from the fellowship. We're the ones who are no longer loving one another as He has loved us. And I feel like even for some reason there's some today here that maybe just find yourself where, where Martha was. You're doing the things of God. You're even trying to serve Him in what you're doing. But in doing it, you're actually missing the very thing that He wants you to do, which is to remain in Him so that He could remain in you, so that you could actually bear kingdom fruit. And if you're here today and you realize you are troubled and anxious, looking over your shoulder at those around you and what they're doing and what you think they should do, I feel like this morning the Lord wants to minister to you. And He wants to actually gently rebuke you because He loves you. And say, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen what was better. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Martha, don't get distracted. and Do the things I'm asking you to do. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you right now. Because I know that you're precious to the Lord. I know that He loves you. I know that his heart breaks when we miss him, when we, even like Israel, maybe don't even know how to receive him because of where we're at. I'd love to pray with you if that's you. So if that is you, why don't you just respond to the Lord? And maybe maybe just where you are, just lift your hand and say, Andrew, that's me. I feel like that's, that's exactly where I'm at. I feel like I need, you just pray with me. I want to come before the Lord. I want to find his face. I want to humble myself. Okay, let me pray with those guys and then I'll pray for another group. Father, we, we're just so sorry, Lord. We know so little, actually. And the things we think we know, we're often so wrong on. But Lord, we know this. We know that you are God. That you alone are good. And that you work in all things for the good of those who love you. We've been called according to your purposes. And Lord, we come before you and we ask just for forgiveness because of our, at times, opinions and thoughts, which maybe have even fought against you, Lord. Maybe even rebuked you, Lord, thinking we know better than you know. This shouldn't be this way. Why is it happening like that? Lord, forgive us. Have mercy on us in your unfailing love. And help us to humble ourselves before you and do what it is you're asking us to do. Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Help us to get this right. There may be some here today, and as you've been hearing this preach, you know, you're asking yourself the question, man, do I know the real Jesus? Am I serving and, and, and flowing in the real spirit? Am I believing the real gospel? And I'd love to pray with you that God, he says, if you have, need wisdom, ask and he'll give it to you. Could you pray with me? Who just recognizes, man, I feel like I just want to know. I want to just lift your hand if that's you and I'll pray with you. I just want to know that I'm serving the real Jesus. I'm lifting my hand because I know I can deceive myself. 
Seriously, I'm like, seriously, I am seriously very conscious of how easy it is for me to be deceived. Father, we are stupid. We really are, Lord. We know so little. And even as you say, when we think we know something, actually, we know nothing. I pray, Lord God, that in humility this morning that we would humble ourselves before you, Lord God, and we would ask for this moment in our time of need for you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what it is that you're saying and what it is that you're doing to the church, Lord. Don't allow us to be hard-hearted and calloused, opinionated too strongly so that we might even take you to the edge of the cliff to throw you off, believing we're on the side of God. Have mercy on us according to your unfailing love. And Lord, would you reveal the things you need to reveal to us, to our hearts. Give us eyes to see them, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And in closing, I want to do this. Jesus looks for a place that he'll be welcomed, listened to, and served. That means Jesus is going to be welcome in your home. He's welcomed, listened to, and served. That means in our relationship here, as we come to this place, we come to receive Him as He is, to let Him be Lord, to let Him be our King, and to align our lives with His purposes. It means we listen to Him. It means when He asks us to do stuff, that we do our, our very best to hear and to apply, that we won't be like that husband who hears his wife and doesn't listen, but that we will listen to the Lord and change what needs to be changed, even when it confronts the core of who we are, the core of who we think we are, that we will be what He wants us to be. And lastly, that we will serve, that we will come not to give, not to get, but to give. Not to walk out of the meeting and weigh it upon what we got out of it, but to walk out weighing it upon what we were able to give into it. That when we come together, we come with so gifts and giftings. We come with spiritual gifts of prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. When we gather in homes, we come to give. We come to give even if it's the two mites, the penny that we have. We come to give it. For what we do for the least of these little ones of mine, we do it for Him. We come to serve. We come to meet people and love people. We come to share coffee and share life and to do the things that He asks us to do with one another and to serve one another as He's loved and served us. And if you this morning hear the Lord and you're saying, Lord, I want to be a Bethany. I want this home, this house to be a Bethany. I want my life and my family to be a Bethany that you will come and meet with us because we'll open the door to you because we hear you today. You'll eat with us and us with you. If that's you and you honestly are going to maybe just serve a little bit harder, listen a little bit better, welcome a little bit more. If that is you and you're saying, Lord, I hear you. And I'm changing with you one degree of glory to another. Take my hand. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to stretch me, Lord, that I can be like you are. Your hands and your feet. That is you. I want to ask you to lift your hands with me. Lord, we, we love to bless you, God. We love to move your heart. And we know that actually the way we move you, you said, let our light shine before men. We move you by showing you that we love you. And we show you that we love you by doing the things you ask us to do. This morning we come before you in the name, above every name, Jesus, 
You're the groom. You're the one who saved us. You're the one who died on a cross for us. You're the one who called us out of the world to belong to you. And we're saying, Lord, we want to be a beautiful bride for you. We want to learn the things that make you happy. We want to be beautiful and radiant for you on that last day. That when you come to receive us, that our good works will come before your throne as offerings of love. And that, Lord God, they will make us white and beautiful for you. Because that's what it says in the book of Revelation. The good works, the white robes represent the good works of the saints. That, Lord, we'd be a people who receives you, who listens to you, and who serves you. Father, we're going to serve, listen, and receive you more and more every single day, we pray. In Jesus' name. From here, from here. Jesus says, and I love this, my eyes roam to and forth across the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to me. How do you show me you're devoted to him? You just learned. Do the things you've listened to. Listen and do them. And listen to me. God says this to you. I will come. I will come. And I will eat with you. <laughs> and you'll eat with me. We'll have intimate fellowship. I'll be found by you because you become a Bethany. And my prayer for you is that you will be a Bethany for the Lord. That your family your home, your life will be a Bethany to the Lord. And that he'll be well pleased. Caught up with us. I'm wanting to be with us. Amen.